handoff to Jonathan oh. Taylor. Hughes hole. He's at the 30. He's going to go. 10, 5, touchdown. Jonathan Taylor made a man miss the line of scrimmage and then runs it into Pater. And a one-handed INT. Are you kidding me? Kenny Moore. What a play by Naheem Hines. What is going on, Colts Nation? Welcome back to another episode of the Bring the Juice Colts podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. You probably heard him in our intro, voice of the Colts, Mr. Matt Taylor himself. Matt, thanks so much, man, for coming on. How have you been? I'm bringing the juice. Yes, I'm sir. Great. <laughs> What's going on with you guys? Uh, happy happy April, happy uh, off-season, happy draft season here, I guess. What's uh, What's going on yeah. with you fellas? Oh, uh, nothing much, man. Just getting ready for the draft. Uh, Cody and I have been talking about that so much over the last few weeks that we can't wait to just finally do a live stream with the draft. That's going to be so much fun. Yeah, yeah without dude. question. I mean, we're doing a, a, a live draft uh, radio show with full pick-by-pick -pick analysis, uh, the whole nine yards, all the bells and whistles. It's it's a labor of love, you know, internally with uh, with how we do it. You know, we try to get draft profiles and, and draft audio uh, segues after picks are made. So we, we do it upright. We spend a lot of time on it. It's like I kind of equate it to getting married and getting ready for the reception and the ceremony. You, have, you do all this planning, and then two days, boom, it's over. And it's just like, wow, that, that went by pretty fast. So you have to savor it in the moment. Uh, but, you know, with, with only six picks here now, we can. We can I'm sure we'll get into this, but – with six picks and, and a lot of holes on the team or some needs on the team, it's it's going to be imperative the Colts do well uh, in a couple weekends here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, Matt, I'm kind of curious for you with this offseason. What's it been like for you, man? Have you taken a vacation? Have you been able to do things with friends, family, all that kind of stuff? What has this offseason been for, like, for, for you as opposed to even, like, last offseason where with everything with COVID and all that? Yeah, it, it's pretty similar to last year, you know, working remotely. Um, I've I've padded up my office at home. I got mm. like a full blown studio here with uh, similar equipment that we have at the Colts complex and the radio studio at work. Um, so from a flexibility standpoint, it's it's been kind of a blessing, you know, professionally for me, because um, just uh, from a from a technique standpoint, there's nothing I can't do at work that I can't do at home now. Hmm. Um, so we, we've had to uh, adjust on the fly accordingly, but, um, yeah, no, it, it's still, you know, we're still kind of taking it slow, uh, with, with the COVID stuff, you know, not, not really pushing the envelope, just kind of keeping it low key, which is probably good, uh, by design because I got two young kids, so we're, we're not doing much of anything anyways, just because of the limitations, uh, with a three-year-old or a four-year-old, I guess now and a one-year-old, but, um, uh, you no, know, I mean, I haven't really taken much time off. I kind of saved that for, uh, the, the warmer months around Indiana, you know, May, June and July, I'll, I'll take all my vacation time and, and get in the rest and relaxation before the grind starts all over again in late July with training camp. All right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, Cody kind of brought up how, you know, COVID's kind of made things a little different with how things are done and, uh, we saw, you know, we interviewed a lot of people last off season when in the midst of everything going on with COVID and how things were changing, uh, what were procedures like for you specifically on how those things kind of changed and how you were able to do your job? Like, was there 
more like security to make sure you uh, had to do things before you got into certain buildings. It was their uh, extra procedures that had to go with if you ever had to travel somewhere. Like what what was that like for you having to deal with COVID all of last season? Well, I was working remotely. Um, so there wasn't a whole, I mean, there was a tier system, which I'm sure you guys probably heard about. I was not included in the tier system and rightfully so because, you know, the tier one, um, members included, uh, players and coaches and, you know, like uh, doctors and trainers and there was tier two and those were, you know, any, any other, um, peripheral people that needed to, you know, be around the team or join the team in any capacity. And so it was It was very much the league, and rightfully so, again, took the approach of we're going to have to make this bubble uh, as best we can, and we're just trying to get this season in. And we're trying to keep those uh, necessary people that are going to be on the field on Sundays. We got to keep these people healthy. We got to keep them safe, and we got to keep them, you know, available. And so, unfortunately, people like me, that in the past were, uh, you know, it was a necessity for me to be at the stadium. And I still think to a degree it is for me to be there. Um, it, it was in the, in the eyes of, of a COVID season where we're just trying to get it in, get them on TV, get, get all of these things, um, just get to, get to week 17. And then after that, it was get to the playoffs and get to the Super Bowl and just get the season in. So uh, in that vein, it was, all right, how, how am I, I still have the same job. I still did the same job. I just obviously did it a little bit differently. Uh, in fact, I did it a lot of it differently last year. So I wasn't in the, the testing protocols. I wasn't going into the building and, uh, and COVID-19 testing like, like the players and coaches were. Um, I was doing all my interviews on the phone. I was doing all my stuff via Zoom, just like the rest of the world seemingly. Um, and then obviously, you know, on, on, on game days, uh, home game days, I would be at the stadium. Uh, but even that looked a lot different, you know, uh, in, in the radio booth at Lucas oil stadium, there was plexiglass and dividers, yeah. uh, to separate the, you know, me and a color person and a stat person and engineers that are in the booth with us. Um, so it was the same, but different as far as that goes. And then remote games, or I should say road games, that was a whole different ball of wax having to do those uh, games remotely. and call it off a monitor. And uh, so, I mean, just give you the, the quick setup on that. Um, you know, we, we did it from Lucas Oil Stadium uh, inside the control room, which is the room where they do all of the in-house broadcast stuff like the Jumbotron presentation and ribbon board. So it actually is is set up very conducive to what we needed to do. And uh, our in-house video people and technical people set it up just tremendously um, it was an adjustment for me, obviously, to call a game off of TV and to toggle my eyes and my eyesight, eyesight from different monitors to incorporate all the things I usually have at my disposal by just being live at the stadium. But, I mean, after that, a game or two, it, it was incredibly streamlined. And, um, you know, at the end of the season, it was obviously something I never foresaw. I wasn't looking forward to it because... Again, I, I, I think there's just nothing that replaces uh, you being at the game physically. But it was kind of a, a unique, weird experience that I'm, I'm glad I was able to go through. And, um, you know, now you have it sort of you can you know write that in on your resume and it's a good experience. And it's just something that, you know, you can do now if, you, again, you get into a uh, knock on wood, a, a really weird experience down the road. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um, and Matt, last year was very good for Indianapolis. Obviously, you know, making the playoffs again, second time in three years. 
I have a question, kind of a two-parter. It may be the same answer here. Um, what was your favorite moment from the Colts season last season? And what was your favorite radio call from last season? Oh, man. Um, let me let me look at the schedule here. Um, I think the Green Bay overtime mm-hmm. win and the, the walk-off <laughs> winner by Rodrigo Blankenship probably immediately comes to mind. You know, the Tennessee game on a Thursday night, that was a signature win considering you were coming off <laughs> a bad loss to um, to Baltimore, and then that was kind of like, if you remember back to last season, that November gauntlet, that schedule was so brutal, filled with playoff teams uh, from last year and, and playoff teams that would eventually go on to make the playoffs in 2020 as well. So it was just kind of a big win to, you know, prove that you can play with with the, the, the elite players, the elite teams, the big boys of the NFL. So I would say those games and some of the moments inside those games were probably my favorite from last season. Very nice. I, I remember I remember I was doing live streams uh for the games last year. And I think my favorite moment was when Naheem Hines got that touchdown against Detroit. Cody even put my voice in the intro for when I was calling it when uh when Hines was doing that backflip. I think that was pretty funny. Uh which I'm I'm curious, this is kind of off script here. What got you more hyped to see? Was it uh Naheem Hines' backflip or when Kenny Moore had that one-handed Interception oh, yeah. against the Raiders. <laughs> oh, see, see, the I think it's got to be the Kenny Moore because that happens within the flow of the play. You know, that that mm-hmm. happens before the play is over. You know, I was sort of looking down at my notes. You know, I saw Naeem Hines score the touchdown. It was a terrific play. I'm looking down at my notes to see, you know, what um what number touchdown that was for Naeem Hines in terms of the course of the season. And so I wasn't I wasn't prepared for the flips. The flips kind of caught me off guard. My eyeballs kind of drifted down to my notes had i had i fully incorporated the the flips or had i known about the flips ahead of time i would have uh induced that uh, into the call uh absolutely gotcha. uh, certainly more than i did uh because i've got people in my ear saying oh he's doing flips he's doing cartwheels in the end zone i'm like <laughs> to a certain degree it's like i just blew it i blew it so <laughs> right because i mean i wanted to do i wanted to incorporate you know like the the olympics or uh you know the russian judge gave him a nine on a 10 scale or whatever you know I, there's, there's so many different things you could have gone with that but um no a great great moment but definitely in terms of just the actual play call and incorporating incorporating what you see in the call of, of the broadcast i definitely got to go with kenny moore on that one gotcha gotcha well, look, Matt, I think that we all can agree that, you know, as, as you get older, you figure out what you want to do in life. And obviously you figured out where you want to be at, at least right now. Uh, when, when you were growing up, was it always a goal for you to do a play by play for someone? And like, when did you realize that, you know, you got into the position and you're like, oh, I think I might really enjoy doing this. Yeah, I mean, I tell the story all the time. Like, I, I was blessed as a kid to know when I was 10 years old, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do sports on the radio in some capacity. And then as I got older, I just got more and more attracted to the play by play avenue of it because, you know, growing up, I played sports. I was a pretty decent athlete. I mean, I went on to play college football at a Division three level. So I, I knew how to talk about sports. I knew. Uh, sort of the nuances of the game, and I thought I could communicate it well. Plus, I, I just loved radio, and I loved football. It was my favorite sport growing up. So uh, as I continued to to move, uh, you know, career-wise, it was, okay, this is – football is probably my best sport, both as a player and as a, as a, as a broadcaster. So how do I make this work? 
Um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, it, basically when I was a freshman in college, the light bulb went off for me even more. It was even brighter then. It's like, okay, this is exactly what I want to do. And so from that point on, it's like, how do I do this? How do I accomplish it? How do I, what, what steps do I need to take in order to at least have a shot, uh, to, to make this work for me? And so, you know, again, going to a division three school, a small school, I went to Franklin college in Franklin, Indiana. And, um, you know, I think, I think everybody's different. I think everybody's unique in, in what, um, they need to do to maximize the opportunities for them. And this is by no means a, a put down at all. I, I, I mean, it as a compliment to Franklin more than anything, but at schools like, um, you know, Ball State around here or IU or some of these other big schools that have terrific, awesome programs. Sometimes you have to wait in line. Sometimes you have to be an upperclassman to uh, get the hands-on experience or get behind a mic to call games, whether it's a men's basketball game or a football game or a baseball game at Franklin, man, like you're talking about a school of 1,200, 1,300 kids. So right away as a freshman, I was you know, like, uh, just get me behind a mic. Let me make mistakes. Let me sound awful for, for a little bit <laughs> and, and learn how to, to make this, uh, to work for me. So to me, it didn't matter that I wasn't, um, calling division one games. It just mattered that I was getting experience and I was learning how to prepare, learning how to, you know, adjust to different situations, uh, you know, based on the game I was calling. So that really kind of fueled my passion. And then career wise, everything I've done post-graduation from college, was to just get in the door. How do I get a foot in the door and then just kind of work my way up from there? And that's, you know, not to get too career goal preachy, but that, that's my biggest piece of advice when I talk to young people or talk to a class. It's just don't say no to anything. You know, one of my first jobs out of college was working part-time. I was part-time as part-time could be at uh, MS Communications, downtown Indianapolis, which is uh, they have the flagship station of the Colts, which is 1070, the fan. And my job was to come in. I mean, they just pulled my resume from a stack and they said, we need you to come in and answer phones on a high school sports show that airs 930 to midnight on Friday and Saturday. Right. I mean, it's like the, the you know, when you're a young kid, 22, 23 years old, you're still kind of in that hangout, go out mode. And it, people kind of look at you like you're crazy, like you're going to go do what and make how much money, but again, it was a foot in the door. And had I said no to that, I would have said no to everything after that. And in short order, you know, I was again, just trying to prove my worth, prove my versatility, prove my drive, you know, shortly after that, I was producing shows and then hosting shows. And then, you know, so it's kind of all uphill or downhill and depending on how you look at it from there. Um, but you know, if you think you're better than that crummy part-time job, then you say no to everything that can happen to you after that. Mm. And then eventually, obviously, uh, led to the position you're at with the Colts, right? I mean, that job, that opening came up, I believe it was 2018, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around that time. How did that all go down for you? I'm kind of curious how that all worked out because I believe when I, if I remember correctly, it started as kind of an interim basis and then eventually transitioned to full-time. W- what did that look like for you? Well, I was, I've, I've been with the Colts since 2012. Um, when I was hired um, with the Colts, I was hired to oversee all of the radio production and oversee just the entire radio operation. And that, that, that basically meant everything except call the games. Um, so everything that you hear coming out of your speakers on Colts game day, you know, my DNA was and is all over it. 
um, in terms of the spots, the production, uh, the show flows, the research of the show, the talent of the show. There was nothing that you heard on the radio cults wise that didn't get funneled to me or through me in some way. Um, and so that, that's, that's what I was hired for. Plus managing the network and, you know, all the radio affiliates and, and all that stuff. Um, so I, again, my, my idea was I'm going to take this job prove that, um, you know, I, I can be a great, uh, producer and, you know, run, run this, run this operation to, um, to a, to a T, uh, make sure there's no issues, you know, no news is good news when it comes to, uh, you know, your bosses in, in radio, if, if they're not thinking about radio or talking about radio, it must be not top of mind because it's going well. That was my that was my goal. That was that was the whole idea. But the longer I was there, the more I proved my versatility. Um, you know, was hosting shows on the radio, hosting shows on television, was doing TV play by play for the preseason broadcast. So, you know, from a media standpoint, internally with the Colts, there there was nothing that I hadn't done yet when that interim time came, uh, as you alluded to, in 2018. That year was just a, a crazy blur because, uh, you know, it was it was so uh, it happened so fast uh, that the change needed to be made very quickly. There wasn't a whole lot of time to think. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of time to implement uh, help. Uh, under me, so to speak. So I was basically doing two full-time jobs at the same time for six months or, you know, the, the, the entire season of that year. And we, the Colts went on to make the playoffs and played two playoff games. So it was, it was a long season uh, filled with long hours. Um, there, there, there just wasn't enough time in the day work-wise to get it all in, to get it all done. So that meant a lot of late nights for me, uh, you know, staying up late, uh, making sure I had all the preparation done, because if you know anything about me, preparation is key. Um, so, you know, work work pretty much just kind of consumed me. The Colts kind of just consumed me for those six, seven months, whatever it was. Um, plus not dealing just on a personal level, just dealing with the fact that you don't know what, you know, your future is going to be. It's not to get too over dramatic with it, but, you know, if in, in, in normal business and normal in a normal world, uh, you know, if you're up for a promotion, uh, you know, basically, if, if you get it or don't get it, the only people that that will know are uh, your boss or you or your spouse, depending on what you tell that person. With me, uh, I was up for a promotion and hundreds of thousands of people knew it, uh, which which made it very um I tried to block all that out as, as best I could. I, I thought I did a pretty good job of that, but you know, uh, there are times where you, you, you're lying in bed thinking, you know, what else do I need to be doing? Do I need to appease uh, some other decision maker in this process? How's the, how's the process going to work? You know, so you always have that sort of in the back of your mind. Um, and so I, I thought there was a point early on in the season where I said, I'm going to try and not to, to think about this as, as often as I can, because it just does no good. And so I just sort of, you know, was at peace with my mentality of, hey, if this is meant to be, it's meant to be. Just go do the best job you can. You know you can do it. You know you've got the skill. You know you've got the work ethic and the preparation to do it. It's just a matter of, of you know, what what the what ownership and, and what the, the powers that be decide. And so that's out of your hands. You can't control it. So don't even worry about it. And so it all worked out. But, yeah, 2018 was certainly, you know, 
I think I can think back on it now and probably in five years from now and look back on it fondly. But during the time, during that, during that season where you're working just your tail off just to, to get from one day to the next and one game to the, to the next game, um, it certainly was a blur. Um, I don't ever want to do it again, but again, looking back on it, it was, it was a wild ride and obviously something I'll never forget. Well, we're all certainly glad that it worked out for you, but let's uh, let's talk about some free agency stuff here real quick. Uh, we've been asking a lot of Colts fans and a lot of people we brought on about this free agency period, and um, I'm sure you've heard you know a lot of the Colts fan base saying that they were hoping Ballard would be aggressive in free agencies this year, and so far he really hasn't done that. Uh, he's basically been the exact opposite you know, basically resigning the majority of the guys who are free agents this year for the Colts um, and just bringing them back and then probably just going to address most of the needs in the draft. Uh, What's your thoughts been on Ballard's free agency so far? And has there been someone that that Ballard has re-signed specifically that you're excited to see back in a Colts uniform this year? Yeah, I mean, not surprised at all, to be honest with you. This is what he does. Uh, I mean, if you're surprised by this, you, quite frankly, haven't been, haven't been paying attention. Um, and, and there's two different ways to look at it. There's what you said of you know having money and not spending it and, and, and letting free agency kind of pass you by. Another way to look at it is, I mean, you've got, depending on how you look at a handful of guys on the roster, you've got. 20, 19 to 20 out of 22 starters on both sides of the ball coming back. Um, and, and you were close last season. I mean, you were 11 and five and you, you should have beaten the, the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs. And they went on to, to play in the AFC championship game. So that that's one side of it is, hey, there, there's no reason to sort of make uh, drastic moves and uh, arguably overspend in free agency when you already have uh, a lot of the necessary pieces in place. Um, so, but that being said, every team has needs, every team has, uh, holes they need to fill and some key positions they need to address. And obviously with the Colts, as of right now, uh, offensive tackle, uh, defensive end consistency at corner, perhaps, uh, more, uh, consistency at wide receiver, given the fact that T Y Hilton's coming back in free agency, uh, and, and reportedly it's only a one-year deal, things like that. Um, on, on a personal level, I'm excited to see Marlon Max return. Um, mm. And, you know, if you asked me back in January and, you know, when Chris Ballard talked at the end of the season about how he felt about Marlon, uh, but given the fact he was coming off a bad injury with an Achilles and just the whole contract situation, I, I would have been surprised. I still am surprised uh, that he's back in free agency, but I'm glad that he is. And it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, all of these deals, it's funny. You look at free agency. You know, you got five in-house signings or re-signings and five off-the-market uh, signings, and all of them are one-year deals. And if you look at them individually, they make sense uh, to, to be a one-year deal, given where each guy is, respectively. But just bigger picture, the, the one-year deals give you flexibility. You know, if it doesn't work out with a player, no big deal. One-year deal, and you move on. You know, you're not on the hook for this um, uh, elaborate salary or, or a bad contract uh, that can – that can really weigh you down. And also to the one year deals, uh, they put it, it puts pressure on players. It puts pressure on players to, to perform and, and, and to get the max out of their free agency stock the next year. Um, so from that standpoint, I, I really like it, but I love that Marlon Mack is back on a personal level because I thought it was just a really crummy deal for him. 
You know, he was coming off. He, he, he was in such good shape last year coming off the 2019 season where he ran for a thousand yards. You got the entire offensive line coming back and then boom, blammo right out of the gate, you know, quarter two, uh, you know, week one done for the season. And then, you know, with, with Jonathan Taylor's emergence, it just kind of made it a really murky situation, but with, with Matt coming back, uh, you know, you got to sign a fourth running back anyways for training camp and preseason purposes. And you probably are going to keep four running backs because that's what you've done the last couple of years anyways from a roster mechanics standpoint. So might as well be a guy that you know is progressing well off an injury. You know his mental makeup. You know what this guy is made out of. You know what makes him tick. He's coming off a 1,000-yard season the last time he was fully healthy. A majority of your offensive line is coming back. And the biggest thing is it gives you big playability no matter who's in the game on, well, really uh, down one through three when you factor in Naeem Hines being in, in the ball game primarily on third down. But I, I still expect Jonathan Taylor to get a lion's share of the carries to be that bell cow running back. But for whatever reason, if Max in the game on first or second down, you've got big playability. I mean, if you go back to 2019, uh, Mac had 28 runs over 10 yards. And then last year, Jonathan Taylor had 35 runs over 10 yards which was third best in the NFL. So it gives you a lot of pop and a lot of home run ability, no matter who's in the game at running back. So he was probably my favorite uh, in-house re-signing because of what it meant to him personally to get another opportunity to come back and, and see what he can do inside this offense. All right, Matt, moving on now. Looking now a year later at that DeForest Buckner trade. I mean, we all said when I had you on last time, we thought that was a really good trade for the Colts. Well, turned out to be a, a fantastic trade for the Colts last year. Looking at it a year later, what are your thoughts on that trade? I mean, it's it's one of the best moves the Colts have made, and that's saying something considering, you know, the Sam Darnold trade just got complete considering he's not on the on the Jets anymore. And you go back and look at the windfall uh, for the Colts in that trade. So it, it stacks right up there. And it's sort of like what the Colts have done this offseason with Carson Wentz coming in. Um, and, you know, sitting there at 21, are you going to be – able to get one of the top quarterbacks in the draft? Probably not. And then if you do, if you do move up to be in that situation, you're going to have to give up a ton of draft capital this year, a ton of draft capital and years after that, probably a couple first round picks. And so, you know, that that's not ideal. But then, you know, to, to take it a step further, if you get it wrong, like we're seeing with the Jets, it's going to set your franchise back years and you got to start the clock all over again. So, I love the fact that the Colts have been bold with the draft and their draft capital and making some trades the last couple of years, because at the end of the day, all these guys in the draft, their projections, their guesses, their educated guesses, but you know, sometimes they hit and sometimes they miss. So I love the fact that the Colts basically gave up uh, a first round draft pick last year, the 13th overall pick for a bonafide player who's still incredibly young. That's in the prime of his career that, you know, is one of the top, two or three players at his position in the NFL that has proven to be one of the best players at his spot on Sundays. You know, you don't, you're not guessing with the Forrest Buckner. And I really don't think it's hyperbole. I, I really don't. I, I think he is the best defensive tackle the Colts have ever had since moving to Indianapolis. Like, I don't think that's a stretch. I don't think that's overstating it. Um, he is when he's, when he, I mean, the game he missed when he was not out there against Tennessee, that second game, that Sunday after Thanksgiving, uh, I'm not saying the Colts would have won, but I'm saying they would have done a much better job of slowing down Derrick Henry in that game if DeForest Buckner is healthy 
or at least available because he was out due to, to COVID-19 protocols. Um, yeah. So no, I mean, one of the, one of the best moves the Colts have made and one of the best players uh, the Colts have had in the last decade. And it was, it was an absolute crock. It was a shame. He didn't make the pro bowl. Yeah, absolutely. is true. Uh, and I mean, we're talking about how amazing it is that Ballard was able to only get him for a first rounder. I mean, he ended up getting Carson Wentz, who was the most talked about guy of the offseason, you know, for basically a third rounder and a second rounder, which could become a first, just depending on if Carson is available for the majority of the season or not. I mean, I think that that is something that everyone's asking is how good is Carson Wentz going to do this season? You know, there's a lot of speculation. A lot of people saying he's going to stink. A lot of people say he's going to be, he's going to thrive under uh, Coach Reich and all that. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Colts acquiring Wentz? And also, I don't know if you've seen it on Twitter. I mean, I don't know how much time you actually spend on Twitter, but there are a lot of Colts fans that are very excited to hear uh, from you specifically the Wentz to TY calls now that TY is going to be back this season. Uh, there's a lot of people waiting for you to make that call. Hopefully that happens a couple times this year. But what are your thoughts here on <laughs> Wentz coming to Indy? Well, I, again, sitting where the Colts have been from a quarterback standpoint since the retirement of Andrew Luck, this is the best-case scenario. And that's not a shot at Carson Wentz at all because I, I think he can be a fantastic player uh, in a new situation. Obviously, in 2020, didn't have the season that he wanted. Um, but I, I love the fact that the Colts didn't move up in the draft and and then you're really rolling the dice on somebody. And again, if you get it wrong, it, it really screws you up from a foundational standpoint. Colts are in a really unique situation because they desperately needed a, a franchise quarterback or quarterback stability, but they're not a bad team. They're a good mm -hmm. team. You know, the only thing missing is just that right piece of quarterback. Um, and so Normally, when you're a quarterback needy team, you're you're picking in the top five, and so the, the for the Colts to be sitting there at 21 uh, was a very very unique situation. Um, so I like what they did, you know, getting Carson Wentz in here, as you said, without giving up a first or second round pick in the immediacy of 2021 is just such great management by Chris Ballard. Um, you you need those premium picks this year to address. Uh, major needs, or uh, not major needs, but needs of very important positions uh, on any football team, you know, offensive tackle, defensive end, like we got into. So you can address those spots with those picks coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, but I, I think Carson Wentz is not broken. I don't think he's a bad player. I think he's a good player that had a bad season. And, you know, I, I you know, I was really impressed with what he had to say a couple of weeks back at his uh, introduction uh, press conference didn't shy away from the blame, took responsibility from, you know, his downfall, the team's bad season. But I think there was a lot of stuff around Carson Wentz that contributed to his bad year, not to make excuses for him, but the offensive line was just not very good. A lot of injuries. I mean, he took 50 sacks in 12 games last year. You know, they had a lot of injuries uh, to, to the skill positions. Um, you know, I talked to Ron Jaworski when the deal went down and he said that, that COVID-19, uh, and the abbreviated offseason really affected Carson Wentz in terms of reps and just not getting on the same page as a handful of guys. And you had the whole Doug Peterson saga. And so he he's not to be absolved from his part in, 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 in why Philly had a bad season last year. But I think going, coming to an, a new setting where, 
you know, he's got Frank Reich. I mean, the Colts don't make this move without Frank Reich. I mean, let's be honest and let's be clear about that, right? I mean, the Colts with with Jim Ursa and Chris Ballard, if they don't trust Frank and they don't listen to Frank in terms of his intel on the player and as the person, uh, they don't make this move. And that's what Frank is so good at. He's going to coach Carson much differently than he coached Andrew Luck or Jacoby Brissett or Phillip Rivers. You know, he he does such a good job of coaching the player and the person, not just the position. So he's going to know what buttons to push to get the best out of Carson Wentz going forward. And, you know, this offense is loaded. It's absolutely stacked. It's a great uh, position for him to be in because he's got, you know, four of, of the five uh, offensive linemen coming back, you know, one of the top 10 offensive lines in the game. And I think that's being a little bit lenient there. Uh, you know, again, Jonathan Taylor has just limitless potential inside the running game. T.Y. Hilton's coming back, a very young core, strong core of receivers, and Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell. So he's not going to have to shoulder the responsibility, maybe like he thought he had to last last year at times in Philadelphia. You know, there's mm-hmm. roughly 65 to 70 plays from scrimmage offensively in a game. And don't get me wrong. I mean, every quarterback has to make their fair share of plays uh, in order for you to get you know a high amount of wins uh, during the course of a regular season. But you know, he just needs to come in here and, and be himself and 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 just mentally think I don't have to sh- make a play uh, every time I touch the ball. Like maybe he thought he had to as the season kind of spiraled out of control last year with the Eagles. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting that you said that, you know, kind of playing hero ball a little bit. It kind of, obviously they're way different quarterbacks, but it kind of gave me similar vibes to Phillip Rivers in 2019, right? When he basically had injuries around him, he had to go out there and try to play hero ball. And what happened? The Chargers, like the Eagles, had a bad year because they put it all on the shoulders of their quarterback. And so I think you're right. I think, you know, taking that pressure off of him is going to help him exponentially you know, physically, obviously, and also just mentally as well. So I like that you you mentioned that, Matt. Um, you talked about the draft, though. I mean, obviously, the Colts have a lot of needs, left tackle being probably priority number one. What are your biggest positions of need right now for the Colts? And also, what are some positions you think maybe people aren't talking about as needs, but you could see Ballard, based off of his track history, maybe looking at a guy and maybe taking a guy if he's like the best player on the board at that point? Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with you on offensive tackle, but I, I tweak my list a little bit differently and I base it solely just looking at it sim- simplistic. You know, for me it's probably defensive end because hmm. if you look at where the Colts are deeper roster-wise right now and where uh the draft is deepest when you compare the two positions, defensive end and offensive tackle, that 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 to me is why defensive end is higher because it's just a as far as this year is concerned, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, more, uh, it's, it's a, the commodity of defensive end is going to be a little bit more scarce than offensive tackle. You know, most years to get a plug and play starting offensive tackle, you got to take that guy pretty high in the draft or at the very least in the first round. It's, it's sort of unique this season where I think you can get starting caliber offensive tackles on, on day two, round two, round three, even. Um, so Plus, the Colts have done a really good job of giving themselves some options in free agency. You know, I, I think, you know, uh, nationally, the the signings of Sam Tevy and Julian Davenport, they're not going to move the needle a ton, but they're, I think, big upgrades uh, from the reserve standpoint uh, based off, you know, or at least compared to what you had this time last year. And 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 that's not taking anything away from LaRaven Clark or Chaz Green, but, you know, those guys have started and they've they've played full seasons 
uh, in the NFL at, at different uh, different places. So you've got options. And plus two for me, and I know a lot of people disagree with this, but uh, I think the option of moving Quentin Nelson from guard to tackle is still on the table. Uh, I, 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 I don't think the Colts will do that. And I know a lot of people say, hey, you can't do that because he's a generational guard. I totally understand that. But it gives you a lot of roster flexibility. It gives you a lot of draft versatility. Um, if, if you know that, you know, what the, the best offensive lineman of the game is willing to make that move if I ask him to. And, you know, when, when Chris Ballard and, and Jim Irsay and Frank Reich, when they talk so far this offseason, they don't immediately shut it down, which to me tells me there's at least to a degree uh, that, you know, that's still on the table. I don't think it's going to happen, but uh, the, the people saying, oh, you can't move, you know, the, the great guard to tackle, you know, I, I don't necessarily buy that because I think in short order, he could be the best tackle in the game, just like he's the best guard in the game. I think he's that good. But, um, so, you know, defensive end right now, I, I think, you know, it's it's a it's a more uh, it's a higher priority position on the team because, uh, you know, you, 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 like it's it's uh, it's the opposite of offensive tackle where you've got options and you've got some different things you could do. Whereas at defensive end, you know, you're still waiting on guys to emerge. You're still waiting on some players to kind of step up for you. And that's really a big year for Kamoko Toure and Ben Banigou because those two guys, I know they've had their different you know, instances and situations and circumstances. But, you know, bottom line is those two guys have combined for five sacks the last two seasons. Um, so you need those guys to step up. And I think, you know, if you wait for a defensive end on day two, round two, round three, I know those premier guys are just not going to be there. And I don't think there there are premier guys to the extent where there's there's not a Chase Young in this draft like there was last year. But uh, you know, to get the top end defensive ends, I think you're going to have to uh, pick those guys in the first round compared to waiting on, on you know, in the, in, on day two in the second round to pick up a guy like that. Whereas offensive tackle, I still think you can get some pretty good depth and a pretty good starter on day two of the draft. Yeah, I love how Cody tried to sneak that last question in there, Cody. You tried to sneak that in because your mock draft video the other day, how you were saying how the Colts might select Baron Browning in the second round. Oh, yeah. Right. That was that was Cody just trying to sneak that one in there. Well, (laughs) here's to my thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Matt. No, I'm just going to say, I mean, just real quick. I mean, no matter what you think is a higher need for you, you stick to the board. And so Mm -hmm. if you've got an offensive tackle there at 21 that you love from the get go, you don't even blank. You don't you just turn the card in. You go and you worry about it later. And that goes for every round, every position. You know, you get you only get six of these things. And you got to make it work. And these guys have to contribute for you right away. And so you don't worry about the position. You just get good football players. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess to my point, what, what, so somebody said, there's no way the Colts take a linebacker in round two or whatever. Because I had I had Baron Browning there sitting there, like b- far and away the best prospect in round two or whatever. And I was like, Really? We I think we probably said the same thing about running back last year. So that was just that was just that's kind of no, that's funny, that's but. a really good point. I mean, who would have thought the Colts would trade up for a running back? Yeah, right. Exactly. Last year, you know, after having Marlon Mack. So, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, you you get great football players. And if you think like you can make a guy work systematically and, and he'll fit your the culture and this is a great football player that you don't think is going to be there in a handful of picks and you love them regardless of the position, you know, you go bold and you worry about getting that draft pick later. Uh, you know, we, yep. we've seen Chris Ballard trade back numerous times. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not crazy. I mean, Darius Leonard. I mean, I even know who Darius Leonard was in 2018, and now he's now he's Darius Leonard. So, 
I mean, those guys, they know more than we do. Uh, they certainly know more than I do. And so you leave it to them to stick to the evaluation and put their board together. Yep, absolutely. All right, Matt, I got a personal question for you here. Um, I know Cody and I have asked this a couple times for a couple people, but when you're when you're broadcasting a game, or at, do you ever get like nervous during those anymore? I know obviously you've got a few years under your belt now where you're used to it now, but you ever still get those nerves like before the game starts where it's like, all right, I got to try to make sure I don't mess this up or make sure that everything is perfect, 100% ready to go. Like, do you still get those every now and again? I don't get nervous. Um, and it's it, it sort of, it, it goes back to my playing experiences, you know, playing three sports in high school. I played college football. It's sort of just ingrained in me. I, I take the same approach as being a player in a sport as I do to this gig. Um, you know, it, it sounds cliche. It's that old Lombardi quote, you know, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. And so if you're ready to go, if you're prepared, uh, if you know what you're doing and nothing's going to catch you off guard, then there's no reason to be nervous. There's no reason to have anxiety because you know you're ready to go. And so, you know, game day is it. That's that's the best part of my week. It's the other it's the other six days that that are an absolute grind getting me ready for game day, you know, getting all my organization uh, in place and all, all my studying done and all my memorization done. Like that's that's the grind. Um, mm. And don't get me wrong. Like I'm not working a jackhammer. I'm not I'm not digging ditches. I get to talk about football and study football. It, it's mm -hmm. the greatest gig in the whole world. But, um, you know, I, I kind of also liken it to to taking a test, you know, in college. You, you can you can cram for the test. You can study for the test. And if you if you know the answers to the test going in, uh, then then the test should be easy. And I'm not saying game day is easy for me, but, you know, my goal is to have nothing catch me off guard and be able to put everything that happens during the game into context, put it into perspective. Uh, and plus, I, I've got the, the the guy next to me now in Rick Venturi who has the same approach. He has the same mindset. You know, and he kind of takes that um, uh, approach of, of being a former coach and watching zillions of hours of film. Uh, and so he he knows all of these guys. He knows all of their strengths and, and weaknesses. And so, yeah, I, I put a lot of time into it. And, you know, people you know, I, I've passed my notes around internally and, and to other people and they they just kind of like make fun of me. They're like, why do you have so much stuff on the third string guard? Well, it's like, Hey, if, if there's two injuries, boom, that guy's in and he's a, a pivotal part of the game. He's a, he's a storyline at that point. I'm going to need to know who he is and where he comes from and, you know, where he's been and the stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. um, the, the thing, the thing I'm most cognizant of is, um, you know, when, when you, when you do that job, you have a, a great, in the back of your mind, you know you have a responsibility in the big moments to get it right. And so at that point, I sort of like just get tunnel visioned and I sort of try to block everything out because you know like those big calls, those big moments, they're going to be used on NFL films. They're going to make Sports Center the next day. And so like that's when you really get honed in. That's when you really lock into the words you're using. Uh, the description that you're using, the tone, the energy, stuff like that, uh, because you know those big moments, those are going to live on well after, hopefully, I'm, I'm done doing this for a while. Mm.
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Matt, man, for your time. Really appreciate it. It's good to get some insight, man, into the guy that we hear every Sunday, you know, talking Colts. Um, so yeah, man, I'm really excited, uh, for this next season. Obviously I know you are as well. Uh, yeah, man, I, I'm really looking forward to this draft as well. I think it's going to be a great time. It's going to mm-hmm. be awesome to see who are going to be the future Indianapolis Colts that who knows, maybe we'll be calling in, in a few months here. So, uh, yeah, man, really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Always good to be with you. Uh, call me anytime. Love talking ball and appreciate the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>